Blog Talk Radio. K-I-R-P Radio! When you're looking for real truth, real talk radio, make sure you log on to KIRPRadioshow.com. Sunday nights live, 8 p.m. with your host. Good evening. My name is Rocco Pesercia. Rocco P. I'd like to thank Pudgy Miller for the opportunity to host this show. Normally, I do the last Sunday every month. Uh, last week, I was out of town, so... I am here this week. Thank you again, Padre. Uh Today is September 6th, 2015. Most of us remember the date of September 11th, 2001. It's going to be 14 years ago. And tonight I'd like to discuss 9-11, why we should never forget it, why it's important to understand well, what's happened since 9-11, and to understand what what's happening now and what may happen in the future. I'll take some calls after the break. In a while, that number is 619-638-8559, 619-638-8559. Probably everyone listening, um, unless you're uh, really young, remembers where you were on September 11, 2001. I was working in an office uh, south of Philadelphia, about 25 miles, not really, really west, kind of southwest of uh, the great city of Philadelphia. And we had internet in the office, and you know, some reports came over that there were these attacks on the World Trade Center. And back then, uh, I was using uh, dial-up in the office, yes, it was a ways back. And most of the news sites were blocked. It was just, you couldn't even get to it. So I had gotten a couple of stills. Then a guy who came in to work later than me came in and said, uh, the Twin Towers are gone. And immediately after that, uh, I mean, from that day, on that day, immediately, they start to use the word in the news, war. This is war. You know, war. How is the U.S. going to respond to war? And I'm not going to get into a detailed legal discussion of war, 
But if you believe the Constitution, the Constitution is still the highest law of the land. Uh, any law that isn't based upon the Constitution is ultimately not legal. Uh, law, war can only be declared against the nation state. War cannot be declared against non-state actors. That's why in the Constitution they have letters of marquee and reprisal. That's to handle something like the Barbary pirates during the time of Thomas Jefferson in Africa. Uh, you'd issue a letter of marquee or reprisal. It's not a legal declaration of war because, again, you cannot declare war against a non-state actor. And terrorists, you know, to, one, to a large extent, you can interpret terrorists today as really the modern modern functional equivalent of pirates. I mean, they're, they're pirates. You commit, what is terrorism? Uh, committing direct acts of violence attempted to cause terror to achieve a political goal or goals. So pirates was just mercenary for the most part. <laughs> With terrorists, uh, there's, there's the political angle. But the point is you can't declare war against a non-state actor. And as, as I believe I've said before on this show, the last Article 1, Section 8, Clause 11 of the Constitution makes it very clear only con- Congress can declare war. last declared war was against Romania as part of World War II. War was declared against the United States, a sovereign state, a sovereign nation, against other sovereign nations, including then at the time Germany, Japan, and that included Romania too. So uh, that we've been on, we meaning uh, the U.S., not the U.S. people, but the U.S. government has been in a real bad, bad way post-World War II because every war that has happened post-World War II has been illegal. Congress has never declared war. They've attempted, in Washington, they've attempted to sidestep that issue by saying, well, there's an authorization uh, for war, there's funding for war, but nothing short of a declaration of war makes it legal. That precedent was set, which was a very dangerous precedent with the Korean War, when that was largely entered into under a, a UN mandate. Congress never declared war. And, and there's a lot of, a lot of negative uh, repercussions, a lot of negative effects when a nation state enters into a military conflict illegally. One is that there's never any clear resolution. And if you look at every war after World War II, there's never been a clear resolution. Korea, okay, what do you have, the 38th parallel? Yeah, there wasn't a clear victor. Vietnam, no clear victor. Then, post 9-11, it becomes even more absurd when you say that there's a war on terror. So how could you declare or fight a war on terror? And terror or terrorism could be defined as either a tactic, again, you know, non-state actors committing acts of violence to achieve a political goal. So how do you declare war against a tactic? Or how do you declare war against an ideology? It can't be done legally in the war on terror. It's not legal. And as I'll, I'll demonstrate tonight, I believe the war on terror is a hoax. Oh, it is a hoax. Now, why would I say that? As I look at 9-11, okay, there's a lot of things that happened. A lot of changes happened to the United States. Forget for a moment the wars abroad. Forget 
the invasion of Afghanistan. U.S. troops are still deployed in Afghanistan. Forget then the invasion of Iraq, apart from evidence of weapons for mass destruction. Forget drones that have even killed uh, U.S. citizens in Yemen, and where al-Awlaki and his 16-year-old son killed in separate drone strikes in Yemen. Forget the drone strikes in Pakistan and other places. Uh, I can't even didn't even print up a list tonight of every nation in the U.S. post 9/11 has been involved with militarily, as supposedly, allegedly, theoretically part of this war on terror. But what what got to me? I started asking myself a lot of questions, and the one that really got to me was when I found out a little bit about illegal immigration. I started reading people like Pat Buchanan. Okay, Pat Buchanan's a patriot. He had run for president, and this is a guy who was a consummate insider. Uh, he had worked for at least two US, two U.S. presidents, probably three. I know he worked for Nixon, uh, worked for Reagan. He may have worked for Ford. So this is a guy that wrote speeches for presidents. So he's, he was an insider. But Pat Buchanan started talking about immigration, and he started to expose how the parties in Washington at the time it was the Republican President Bush uh, they wanted amnesty okay? and they both Republicans and Democrats not, it's not politically expedient it's not to their benefit to use the word amnesty but the they use that they don't use that word they talk about comprehensive immigration reform okay? comprehensive immigration reform so that, that's what they mean for amnesty and what Pat Buchanan exposed then, and the reasoning still stands today, since you know the border remains open and unsecured with Mexico, is that no no real no real nation can uh, control its destiny if there's no control upon a border. And Michael Savage, you may disagree with a lot of what Michael Savage says. I used to listen to Michael Savage a lot, and not so much anymore. But uh, he did really build a large audience. And that large audience was largely built upon him talking about border, borders, language, and culture. In other words, you're going to have a national identity. Uh, it can't, it cannot be maintained apart from borders, apart from a national language, and apart from some type of national culture. So, back when who instituted and inaugurated this war on terror post 9/11 when he was in office. He wanted amnesty. He talked about Z visas. There was a plan at the time that was championed, just as today's plans are championed by both uh, leaders in both parties. And then it was John McCain, who later ran for president, and the deceased, uh, the late Senator Ted Kennedy. And so you had Democrats, prominent Democrats and Republicans, pushing this idea of Z visas, which would have been amnesty, would have said people that you would have, I think their plan said, uh, if you were here illegally, you'd have to return, and then you could come back, or you'd get a Z visa, but then you'd have to leave and come back. But in any case, once those Z visas were issued, it would have been de facto citizenship. It would have given someone the right to be in the United States forever. And what Pat Buchanan demonstrated is that the people then, it was President Bush, was lying by saying we cannot secure the borders unless we pass comprehensive immigration control unless there's some type of amnesty. Can't, it can't happen. It's not going to happen. And you hear the same the same lies are being told today 
in the Obama White House. Obama's just gone a step further. He's granted partial amnesty through executive order. And, of course, the Republicans, even though now that there is a Republican majority in the United States House, is a Republican majority in the U.S. Senate, uh, they just let President Obama do that. And part of the reason, in my opinion, they let him do that, why there is no repercussions, there's some rhetoric, there's some talk, uh, there's some people that say they disagree with it on Capitol Hill. But the reason there's no actual political actions, no one moves to impeach Obama, no one moves to impeach the Attorney General. And of course, you know, Eric Holder, in my opinion, he should have been impeached. Uh, I mean, he should be in jail. I mean, he was guilty, just like Lois Lerner, director of the IRS in the past. Both Eric Holder and Lois Lerner were guilty of contempt of Congress. In other words, Congress wanted to ask both Lois Lerner and Eric Holder specific questions, and both of them refused. So they were guilty of contempt of Congress, and Congress did nothing. So the lie that, that was being told back when George W. Bush was in the White House, again, the president that, that inaugurated this war on terror, uh, same lie that persists today. We can't secure the borders and you'll hear a silly phrase again, broken borders. No, no, I'm sorry. The borders are not broken. The borders are where they have been for quite some time. Law enforcement, enforcing the laws, enforcing the border is, is what's broken. Uh, respecting the law is what's broken, not the borders. But they'll say, no, and it's a package deal. It's a package deal. You know, Jeb Bush will say that. Uh, it's a package deal. Uh, in so many words, they won't say package deal. In order to secure that border, we, we've got to pass comprehensive immigration reform. The reality is, once they pass some type of comprehensive immigration reform, then the borders will be open forever. There'll be no need for border security. So whether it's Republican in the White House like George W. Bush or whether it's a Democrat in the White House like Barack Hussein Obama, who I like to affectionately refer to as Barry Satoro, since he grew up, he was known as Barry. Barry Satoro It's the father who adopted him, Lolo Satoro. Uh, Indonesia. But whether it's Barry or whether it's Bush, we get the same policy. And not only do we get the same policy with open borders, is under Obama, we get, we've gotten a continuation, really an expansion of this global war on terror. When war is declared illegally, not declared, when you have an illegal war, again, there's no clear resolution. And, well, we're living through two post-9-11. And there were a lot of things that had happened before 9-11. After World War II, you know, we made the infrastructure of the military permanent in the U.S. The U.S. really, constitutionally, doesn't recognize a standing army. But this is essentially what's happened after World War II. They made the Secretary of War a permanent post as a Secretary of Defense. Uh, the military bases that were instituted during World War II were never vacated in Europe, uh, in Japan, and elsewhere. So the war machine—you could argue, in a very real sense—even though there was a clear, there was a clear date, there was time when war ended. War ended with Germany. Uh, war ended with Japan legally, but the U.S. infrastructure of war became permanent. So, to a large degree, you can interpret the war on terror as an extension of really the policy of perpetual war that was instituted after World War II. But again, they played the game. They didn't, they didn't 
call the Secretary of War the Secretary of War after World War II. It became Secretary of Defense. Everything is defense. When, of course, that is not true. <laughs> it's not. The U.S. has been fighting illegal wars of aggression, uh, particularly after 9-11. So getting back to the borders, what got me was I kept on asking myself. Immediately after 9-11, uh, we saw domestically how life changed. They started to basically shake down everyone in the airports. So I thought to myself, well, this this really doesn't make sense for a couple of reasons. Number one, using a plane isn't the only way a terrorist could attack the states, number one. And then number two, uh, everything, all the infrastructure was set up, was aimed at the Department of Homeland Security, the Patriot Act. Patriot Act, of course, was written. They just rolled it out. John Yu worked for a for the Bush administration. They just rolled it out. Congress could not even read the Patriot Act. They were told to vote on it. That's one of the reasons Ron Paul wouldn't vote on it, which is a pretty good reason that you shouldn't vote on a bill, any legislation that you can't even read. Uh, you don't have time to read. But they rolled out. They threw out the Patriot Act. They rolled out the Department of Homeland Security. Of course, you do some research. Uh, go, you go to startpage.com, startpage.com. Dot com or duck duckgo.com duck duckgo.com and you you'd see on uh do a search on DHS and say plans for DHS and you could see DHS was all planned and then you know they just they rolled it out they rolled it out after 911 but I kept on asking myself if this war on terror is real and yeah they're, they're making so many demands upon US citizens um our liberties were being attacked left and right. I mean, you start to talk about travel restrictions. I mean, that's an authoritarian, an authoritarian government does that. Uh, you start to talk about capital controls. In other words, the ability to uh, remove uh, remove money from the country. Uh, this, is, this is classical, you know, like authoritarianism. This is what we've seen in the States, among other things. So I kept on asking myself, it seemed like a thousand times, if the war on terror is real, why are the borders are open? If the war on terror is real, why are the borders open? If the war on terror is real, why are the borders open? So because that question bothered me so much, I had to research more as far as what happened on 9-11, what was the significance of it. And the answers I got uh, were not really pleasant answers. And that's some of the information I'm going to share tonight. Why should we never forget 9/11 because uh after 9/11 nothing no singular event has shaped US foreign and domestic policy I would say after World War II more significantly more massively than 9/11 that's one reason so you want to understand what the US what the US foreign policy is you have to understand 9/11 you want to understand what US domestic policy is uh you have to understand 9/11 and Make no make no doubt about it. I mean, I won't mince my words. Uh, we are being transformed into a domestic police state. Okay, please please understand that. In other words, when you uh, when you have travel restrictions, uh, that's that's a sign of a police state. When uh, you have to show your ID to go everywhere to to see a doctor, uh, to make a bank deposit, that's signs of a police state. When big business cooperates in concert with the government when a bank would say, Oh no, you don't you don't have to show your ID but then you could never you can never open up an account here. That's uh 
that size of a police state. When the police, as we've discussed, Pudgy and I have discussed on the show before, when police are federalized and militarized, when police increasingly both directly and indirectly come under the control of the federal government, that's a sign of a police state. When you really think about it, you know, what can you do without permission from the government? I mean, there's just, there's, not, there's just not a whole lot left. So at the same time, all this has been rolled out upon the U.S. public. All this has been foisted and thrown upon us, upon the people. At the very same time, the border remains open. So you think, if, if, if everything done after 9-11 was to, secure, was to make us secure, and I don't think I would agree with the founders. Uh, I think it was Benjamin Franklin said he who would give up uh, his liberty in hopes of security deserves neither. I don't think we ever have to give up any of our liberties to be more secure. In fact, I think we are much less secure by giving up our liberties based upon any any terrorist threat, real or imagined. And I'll also take into consideration what's the real threat of terrorism in the United States. Okay, what's the real threat? You're, you're at greater risk of getting killed by a bee sting than being killed by a terrorist. So that's not to say there isn't real terrorists. It's not to say there, there are not cells in the United States. But you think about the number of people we have, you know, well over 300 million in the United States, you know, the attacks you know, just haven't been there. So uh, you might remember after 9-11, there was a lot of fear-mongering that, that continues in different ways. But one of the more entertaining ways they fear-mongered after 9-11 is right away they had a color-coded system, if you remember that, where they said, you know, today is a yellow day or an orange day. <laughs> so, yeah, what would that mean? You'd wake up, it's like, oh, well, it's a, it's a yellow terror alert. Uh, does that mean I should use more deodorant or uh, should I not go to the store after work? It's just it's absurd. Is absurd. But getting back to 9/11, to understanding what happened, what happened, why it matters. Uh, we were told, the narrative that we were told, is that 19 Muslims with box cutters were able to thwart the entire domestic U.S. intelligence, all, every domestic U.S. intelligence agency, every military intelligence agency, and the CIA and NORAD in one day that they got incredibly lucky in one day. That, that's pretty much essentially what we were told. It was 19 Muslims led by a guy on dialysis. His name was Osama bin Laden. So 19 guys with box cutters led by a guy on dialysis somewhere was able to thwart the entire power of every United States intelligence agency, every military intelligence agency of the U.S., the CIA, the NSA, and NORAD, North American Air Defense, and one day they got really, really lucky. Now, some of you folks listening might might be starting to tune me off and say, well, uh, Rocco, man, that's, uh, <laughs> that's conspiracy theory, man. Dude, dude, that's conspiracy theory. Uh, no thanks. Think about that though. Let, let's let's break down. Let's let's talk about let's talk about that. Let's talk about that rap. Let's talk about that title. Let's talk about that uh, that phrase, conspiracy theory. A couple things to keep in mind about conspiracy theories. When John F. Kennedy, President Kennedy, was assassinated, many people back then, you know, there's, there's a lot of information out there. Many people back then immediately started to poke holes see the inconsistencies in the Warren Commission. Okay, the Warren Commission. Uh, 
President Johnson, you know, wanted a commission in Texas to oversee the uh, to investigate the assassination into President Kennedy. And many people start talking about how inconsistent it was to say that there was a lone shooter. So they start talking about, they used the phrase, it was in the press at the time, assassination theories. Now, as people started to look into that, then, and again, you could check all this out again, you go to startpage.com or duckgo.com. I don't use the other guy because the other guy is an extension of the federal government. Uh, but you could use, you could say, you know, CIA conspiracy theory, CIA conspiracy theory. The CIA then floated the term conspiracy theory through the news outlets to try and discredit people that were asking legitimate questions about the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And to make a long story short, since I'm dealing with 9-11 tonight and not JF, the JFK assassination, let me just say this. Uh, the Warren Commission was a fraud. And a lot of people that want to say it's all settled because the Warren Commission settled it. Warren Commission gave us the magic bullet. At first, it was a mystery bullet. But people don't like to talk about the fact that the Church Commission, yes, the U.S. House, US House had the Church Commission. And among other things, the Church Commission looked at the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And what was the conclusion of the Church Commission in the early 70s? Well, then we got a glimpse into the shadow government, and the Church Commission concluded, number one, in all probability, there was conspiracy to assassinate President Kennedy, and in all probability, there was more than one shooter. So when people want to, when they feel, when they really retreat into ignorance and just say, well, this government commission, uh, the Warren Commission settled that. We know there was, there was no conspiracy. Well, yes, the Warren Commission did conclude that, but another commission by the U.S. Congress said no probability there was conspiracy, and there was more than one shooter in all probability. But the conspiracy theory label, again, was floated by the CIA uh, to discredit those who were asking valid questions about the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Everyone, think about this for a moment. When we talk about 9-11, everyone, everyone, without exception, believes that 9-11 was the result of a conspiracy. I think about it. Everyone believes 9-11 was a result of conspiracy. Why do I say that? Okay. If you believe the official explanation, the official conspiracy explanation or theory is that, once again, 19 guys with box cutters led by a guy in dialysis was able to thwart every United States intelligence agency, uh, every military intelligence agency, the CIA, the NSA, and North American Air Defense in one day. That's the official conspiracy theory. Okay. And uh, I reject that for a number of reasons. Okay, one one reason I reject that is that uh plan the plan of that magnitude, again we're talking about uh three we're talking about four targets that day. Okay. We have World Trade Center number one, tower number one, we have World Trade Center tower number two, we have the Pentagon, and we have the plane that went down Shanksville. Okay. Um, not even, haven't even gotten into World Trade Center 7 yet, which uh, that in and of itself, is, that's another discussion. A lot of people forget that three buildings, three skyscrapers fell on 9-11. It wasn't just World Trade Center number one. Number two was WTC 7, which was a 47-story tall building. But one of the reasons I reject the official conspiracy theory is that not one person was ever indicted or arrested 
for saying uh, for for being complicit. In other words, they're saying that a plan of that magnitude occurred, and no one else helped helped those nineteen those nineteen men. No one did. No one. No one in the United States helped them. No one. Period. And then you look at the ramifications. What had happened after the fact? Okay. They roll out this explanation, and we'll look at some of the evidence that the U.S. government said they had against Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda. And remember, again, al-Qaeda was a creation in large part of U.S. intelligence. Okay, The Mujahideen were in the White House when Reagan was in the White House. Okay, Ronald Reagan said these were, these were founding fathers. These men had uh, the Mujahideen who were fighting the Soviets in Afghanistan. Ronald Reagan said these are founding father material. The Mujahideen became al-Qaeda. So no one can test that al-Qaeda was created by, by the U.S., essentially by the CIA. The debate becomes, when did the break occur? <laughs> when, when was al-Qaeda not being controlled by the CIA? That's, uh, that, that's what needs to be discussed. But why do I reject the official conspiracy theory? Uh, no one was ever caught aiding and abetting those 19 men with, with attacks of that magnitude and that sophistication, impossible. They could have done it in the U.S. without any help, any material support. Impossible. That's one reason. And the second reason I reject it is because uh, there's just no hard evidence. That's right. There's no hard evidence. There, there were some videotapes that popped up over time, but from those videotapes, there really there was no clear-cut evidence, period. And uh, I'm going to play a clip. We'll take the break. I'm going to play that clip from a documentary called Loose Change Final Cut uh, after the break. And you'll see that the narrative, because the country was in shock, they want to uh, convince the public that they had all this evidence. They had this evidence. But really, the emperor had no clothes in this particular case. The evidence that was rolled out, uh, just it, it wasn't there. And then, you know, you had the invasion of Afghanistan. There's just so many things that happened uh, after 9/11. But what was the clear-cut evidence? We're also, we'll also look at the testimony of Paul, Paul Craig Roberts. Paul Craig Roberts was an insider. He's assistant treasury secretary for the Reagan administration. I don't, I didn't read. I'm not reading the whole guy's uh, bio, but Paul Craig Roberts was not only a Washington insider. He wasn't only someone that was assistant secretary uh, of the Treasury under Reagan. This is someone who was accomplished in journalism. Okay, he was uh, he was one of the editors of the Wall Street Journal, among other things. So Paul Craig Roberts uh, had you know a pretty wide following, but he started to become demonized. He started to become isolated. People in the mainstream media started to cut him off because he started to question. He started to question the U- U.S. involvement in the wars abroad in Afghanistan and Iraq, and then that also led him to then question what happened on 9/11. But uh, we'll take that break now. And as I said after the break, uh, if anyone does call in, I will take your call. I'm sorry that one caller. I saw that person was there, and uh, if you do, if you want to call back, it will take your call after a break. How many more innocent people? How many more? How many more? What has been the number one cause of unnatural death in history? Democide, or death by government, has killed 290 million people on record. Look it up. Go look it up. In the 20th century, 
Government murdered four times as many people as were killed in all the international and domestic wars combined. USSR, 61,911,000 people killed. Hitler's Germany, nearly 21 million people killed. Japan's imperialism, nearly 6 million people killed. Western colonization killed over 50 million people. Pol Pot's Cambodia, funded by the U.S. government, 2 million people killed. China's Communist Party, as many as 76 million people killed between 1949 and 1987. And the list goes on and on. Demand to know why the Department of Homeland Security bought more than 1.6 billion hollow point bullets. How many more people does government have to kill? Enough. Enough. Demand an end to citizen disarmament. As an American. As an American citizen. As a patriot. For your children. Enough of the people laying down and letting government kill them in mass after disarming them as they've done throughout history over and over again. Now is the time. It's time. It's time to realize that when the government takes your guns, people die. It's time to realize the biggest threat to you and your family is government. It's time to recognize Government is the greatest killer of all time. Demand they show you the word hunting in the Second Amendment. Demand our politicians uphold the Constitution and Bill of Rights as they swore to when they took office. It's time for our leaders to read the Constitution. It's time for our leaders to obey the Constitution. The Constitution. The Constitution. Because a well-regulated militia with 10-round magazines wouldn't last very long. So now you know the most dangerous thing to you and your family in the world is government. Because mass murderers agree, gun control works. Many, many good documentaries came out about 9-11. And, uh, one very good one was 9-11, Loose Change, uh, Loose Change Final Cut. The second edition was also very well done, and that looked at a variety of the evidence of what happened on 9-11, how the official story, uh, the official conspiracy, official conspiracy theory did not really uh, stand up to scrutiny. But I'm going to play part, a few minutes, from Loose Change Final Cut about the evidence, and the evidence, and... Uh, after that, then I'll discuss a little bit what Paul Craig Roberts had said, former Assistant Secretary of the Treasury under Reagan, about the evidence behind uh, Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda with 9-11. On September 13th, the United States government declares that it has overwhelming evidence that bin Laden is responsible for the attacks. The Taliban offers to hand over Osama bin Laden if the United States can provide evidence. Our position in this uh, regard is uh, that if America have uh, evidence and proofs, they should produce it, and we are ready for the trial of Osama uh, bin Laden in the light of evidence. Are you willing to hand Osama bin Laden to the United States or not? No, no, no. no. Without evidence, no. September 23rd, 2001. The Secretary of State said the administration would soon be able to document its case in public against the Al-Qaeda network and Osama bin Laden. I think it will be persuasive. By the next day, the White House was already backpedaling. But is there any plan to present public evidence so that, you know, the average citizen, not just Americans, but people all over the world, 
can understand the case against well, him. Well, Secretary Powell said, you know, there, there's hope to do that uh, and to do so in a, in a timely fashion over some course of time. But I think the American people also understand that there are going to be times when that information cannot immediately be forthcoming, and the American people seem to be accepting of that. It seems as though you're asking everyone to trust you. This information has yet to be provided to the public. Instead of taking credit, bin Laden denies involvement in the attacks three times. December 13th, the Department of Defense releases a videotape allegedly discovered in a house in Jalalabad, Afghanistan. Osama bin Laden describes the attacks along with Khaled al-Harbi. American mainstream media and even President Bush would portray this videotape as absolute proof of his guilt. International establishments question the authenticity of the tape. December 26, 2001. A Taliban official claims that he has attended the funeral of Osama bin Laden. The next day, a video believed to be recorded on November 19th is broadcast, in which bin Laden praises the attack, but takes no responsibility. The next bin Laden video would not appear until October 29, 2004, days before the presidential election. The video is described as the clearest claim of responsibility for 9-11. And when questioned why bin Laden's most wanted poster does not indict him for 9-11, the chief of investigative publicity for the FBI, Rex Toome, replied, 9-11 is not mentioned on bin Laden's most wanted poster as, quote, the FBI has no hard evidence connecting Osama bin Laden to 9-11. Clearly, I, I couldn't really believe what I had just heard, so I repeated it, and he said, yes, that is correct. The FBI has no hard evidence connecting Osama bin Laden to 9-11. What evidence do they have? Two bags belonging to Mohammed Atta checked in at Portland Airport but failed to make Flight 11 at Boston, containing a 757 video tour and flight manual, an Arab-English dictionary, a handheld flight computer, a Quran, and his will. Why would Atta take his will onto a plane that would be destroyed in a fiery inferno? Marwan al-Shehi's rental car, discovered at Logan Airport, containing an Arabic flight manual, an airport restricted area pass, and documents from Hoffman Aviation. Nawaf al-Hazmi's rental car, discovered at Dulles Airport, containing Mohammed Atta's instructions, a check for a flight school in Phoenix, four drawings of a 757 cockpit, a knife, and maps of Washington and New York. Satam al-Sakami's passport, discovered below the Twin Towers. Well, there, not far from here, a passerby found the passport of one of the hijackers. How does a passport fly out of a man's pocket through a 400-mile-per-hour airplane crash, survive 9,000 gallons of jet fuel, and land intact on a sidewalk 1,000 feet below? Mahed Maked and Nawaf Al-Hazmi's ID cards discovered in the wreckage at the Pentagon. An ID? Saeed Al-Ghamdi's passport? Ahmed Al-Nami's driver's license, passport photos, and a business card found in Shanksville. The list goes on. A former high... So you see, there was, uh, there was not hard evidence. Uh, the 9-11 Commission itself, both Tom Kane, chair and co-chair, Lee Hamilton, you had Kane, 
the Republican, former governor of New Jersey, Lee Hamilton, a Democrat, they had said years after the fact, <laughs> they wrote a book called Without Precedent, and then they had actually wrote a uh, piece on January 2nd, 2008, Stonewall by the CIA. Let me get back to Paul Craig Roberts. Paul Craig Roberts, former Treasury Secretary under President Reagan, said many Americans, PC wrote in February 2nd, 2008, many Americans are content with the 9-11 Commission report, but the two chairmen of the commission, Thomas Kane and Lee Hamilton, are not. Neither was Commission member Max Cleland, a U.S. senator who resigned from 9-11 Commission, telling the Boston Globe, November 13, 2003, the investigation, quote, the investiga- this investigation is now compromised, end quote. Even former FBI Director Louis Free wrote in the Wall Street Journal, November 17, 2005, that there, are ina- that there are inaccuracies in the commission's report and questions that need answers. Both Kane and, ha- Kane and Hamilton have twice stated publicly once in their 2006 book, Without Precedent, the Inside Story of the 9-11 Commission, and then that 2000, January 2, 2008, New York Times op-ed piece that there were unanswered questions. Uh, what uh, what was what really set off uh, Kane and Hamilton? It was the fact that they were never told that there was videotapes that allegedly had evidence from some of the some of the uh, inmates at Guantanamo Bay, at Gitmo. There's some of the people that were there in Gitmo. People had been picked up in Afghanistan, and they supposedly had confessions and evidence that showed al-Qaeda was responsible for 9-11 attacks. And it becomes mind-blowing when you find out what happened. Number one, Tom Kane and Lee Hamilton, the chairs of the 9-11 Commission, uh, were never told by the CIA those tapes existed. That's right. They were never told they existed. And then number two, those tapes then were eventually all destroyed by the CIA. All those tapes were destroyed. So there was uh, the evidence, the hard evidence the U.S. government says existed for 9-11, apart from you know that mystery passport that uh, you know they found on the ground in uh, New York City after towers were destroyed. Apart from things like that, the hard evidence uh, that they have uh, was never given to the 9-11 Commission and has now been destroyed. So that begs the question, why were those tapes destroyed? Going back to when you look at Kane and Hamilton's piece, the op-ed they wrote for the New York Times on January 2nd. So it's very, very interesting. And this is stuff that just, you know, the mainstream media just largely ignores. They they gave it sound bites. They gave it very little attention. The quote from that op-ed by Thomas Kane and Lee Hamilton, on January 2nd, 2008, New York Times, quote, the commission's mandate, not alone commission, was sweeping and explicitly included the intelligence agencies, but the recent revelations that the CIA destroyed videotaped interrogations of al-Qaeda operatives leads us to conclude that the agency failed to respond to our lawful request for information about the 9-11 plot, plot. Those who knew about those videotapes and did not tell us about them obstructed our investigation. There could have been absolutely no doubt in the mind of anyone at the CIA or the White House of the Commission's interest in any and all information related to al-Qaeda detainees involved in the 9-11 plot. Yet no one in the administration ever told the Commission of the existence of videotapes of detainee interrogations. That goes on. The General Counsel of the CIA 
responded in writing with nonspecific replies to their questions. The agency did not disclose that any interrogations had ever been recorded or that it had held any further relevant or that it had held any further relevant information in any form. Not satisfied with this response, we decided that we needed to question the, the detainees directly, including Abu Zabaida and a few other key captives. Uh, as a legal matter, this is the way the op ed closed Kane and, and Lee Hamilton, chairs of the 9-11 Commission. As a legal matter, it is not up to us to examine the CIA's failure to disclose the existence of these tapes. That is for others. What we do know is that government officials decided not to inform a lawfully constituted body created by Congress and the President to investigate one of the greatest tragedies to confront this country. We call that obstruction. So when you get back to the official conspiracy theory, they rolled out the uh, Bush administration, rolled out this narrative about Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda days after the attack. And Again, now, years after the fact, devoid, you know, just after after the emotional shock of it all, you think about that. You say, how could they have possibly known? Let's say, let's say the administration was 100% accurate. Okay, and of course, now we know there's there's no hard evidence. Period. It's just it's non-existent. If it does, if that evidence exists, it has never been shared with the U.S. public or the world. But you go back to what happened after 9/11. Let's say the story was true; it was uh, it was a lock. They proved they proved Al Qaeda did it. The obvious question, which which I've already said, is why is that evidence secret? But now we know the tapes are destroyed. So even if they did have, if if the evidence was real, uh, it's gone. It's been gone. But the other question is, if if the official story, if the official conspiracy theory was right, then how could they possibly have put together that quickly? There was Al Qaeda, but not have thwarted it, not have stopped it beforehand. Do you see what I'm saying? In other words, if there was that much information to know a few days after it happened that it transpired, that it was that clear, it was this Al Qaeda plot, it was Osama bin Laden, it was just these 19 guys. Uh, how could that not have been stopped? And tons of information came out after 9-11. You could look up, again, you could do a startpage.com search or a duck, duckgo.com search for Able Danger. Able Danger was a military intelligence unit that had that had members, the hijackers, uh, under surveillance, including Muhammad Atta. And then they were thwarted at the time from uh, from basically stopping them. That came out. That came out in the Senate, and then you had Arnold Specter, Arnold Specter, who basically made his reputation as a young, as a young man in the Warren Commission. <laughs> Warren Specter, uh, Arnold Specter, former senator from Republican senator from Pennsylvania, he basically said, "Now, able dangers, nothing to see there, nothing to see." Again, you could do a, a lot of stuff out there. Public disclosure by Anthony Schaefer, who's part of Able Danger told the truth. They had that, and they were thwarted. So uh, you go back to, so this whole thing happens. There's no evidence. Uh, the evidence that exists, allegedly, was not only withheld from the 9-11 Commission, but then destroyed. The, those those videotapes, again, they don't know. It's kind of pointless to talk about how, whatever those interrogations were, 
how they were conducted and sconed. Then go back to the fact that how could a plot, how could a plot of that magnitude been carried out without any material support in the United States? Nobody else was arrested. The other thing you look at post 9/11 is this: what the government would like us to think. Uh, and yes, not just. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not just. I'm not just indicting the Bush administration because obviously, you know, nothing's changed under Barack Hussein Obama. You know, the illegal wars have expanded. The border's still open. Yes, basically, I mean, you look at Obama. I basically consider him. I mean, it's been a continuation of Bush. I mean, it's just. It's the same form, fit, and function. We just got a guy with a different suit. But in any case. Uh, not only was there no evidence, uh, not only was no one ever, there was no one else involved in this plot that was caught. So they just, they disappeared. If they either, you'd have to believe they had no help, which I think is absurd, or then when there was all that focus after 9-11 that, yeah, no one, uh, no one was found. And that's part of the reason, if you remember, incidentally, that they closed down all the airports and part of it was a psyop, it was a psychological operation. They wanted to, that was a domestic shock and awe. They wanted to scare us. But part of the rationale they said at the time, I remember very well, is they were going to close down all the airports because they didn't want people fleeing the country who had aided and abetted al-Qaeda. Those people were never caught. They evidently didn't exist. But also look at it from this angle. You have the worst domestic terrorist attack in U.S. history. And what happens afterwards, okay, what the administration, what the Bush administration wanted the U.S. public to believe is that merely this was like, this was just a super, really super bad hair day for the entire U.S. military industrial complex. It was a really bad hair day for the CIA, the FBI, the NSA, NORAD, and all the military intelligence agencies. Just a really bad hair day. So, if you take that approach, it was just a really bad hair day for U.S. intelligence agencies. You'd figure, well, someone would have to be held account for not having enough hairspray. In other words, there'd have to be people within the intelligence and military communities, people within those agencies, that would have uh, lost their jobs, and others, you'd think, due to incompetence and irresponsibility. Uh, dereliction of duty would have been arrested, but none of that occurred. None of that occurred. So here, they want the U.S. public to believe that the worst terrorist attack in U.S. history occurred. Uh, they blame parties without evidence, and it was just the 9/11 Commission never basically held anyone account. In, in any of the intelligence agencies. Again, Kane and Lee Hamilton, to the credit, years after the fact, when they realized they said they were stolen by, stonewalled by the CIA and they used the word obstruction, which has legal ramifications. They said you know, there was obstruction of justice. But no one within the military, no one within the intelligence agencies, no one, to the best of my knowledge, no one lost their job. No one was arrested. So think about it. How... If it, if their story is true, that yeah, this was just it's just a really bad hair day for the entire U.S. military industrial complex. Uh, shouldn't someone be held account for that? Anybody? Anywhere? 
Uh, one of the many lies that was rolled out in the days after 9-11, uh, Condoleezza Rice, Secretary of State, said it. President Bush himself said it. In his, in his own words, says, no one could have ever thought that someone would use planes as missiles to attack us in buildings. But again, that was another colossal lie. There was an intelligence briefing that was on the uh, that was at the White House in June of 2001. This specifically said the World Trade Center was vulnerable, and there were other there were, there were, there were multiple other reports floating around different intelligence agencies in the military, talking about how uh, the World Trade Center was vulnerable to be hit hit by a plane. So, so much of what was stated now, after the fact, we can say was a lie. Now, as, as far as as far as you know, the emotional aspect of this, you know, because you know what I'm saying, you know, what I'm saying point blank is that there's criminal elements that were involved in the U.S. government that were responsible for 9/11. Okay, that's that's. That's why I think an objective look at 9-11, it has to conclude that. There's many, many other reasons. A few I'll mention on the time left, I'll get to that why. I also believe that. But if you're thinking about, if you can't swallow the fact, if, if you cannot, if you think it's just, it's just too hard, it's crazy to think that elements of the U.S. government would essentially murder uh, U.S. citizens, to achieve a political goal or goals, uh, think about think do two things. Okay, you could do a search on Operation Northwoods. Operation Northwoods, that'll come up. That was a plan that was never executed. That hit President Kennedy's desk, and uh, he did not follow that plan. That plan basically they wanted. It was a plan that that the Joint Chiefs of Staff came up with, and they wanted to really provoke a war with Cuba, if not Cuba and the Soviet Union. And they wanted to do it by creating certain events to create the illusion that Cuba was the aggressor. So they were going to do certain things like maybe uh, shoot down a U.S. passenger jet, disguise a U.S. jet as a MiG to say it was, uh, it was then it was a Cuban MiG. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's all there. Now, President Kennedy, again, he, he had fired the chairman joint chiefs of staff after that. I think it was Lyman Lemnitzer. And... Uh, President Kennedy then went on. He had fired Director of Central Intelligence. We know what happened to Kennedy. But the point is, those plans were there. And you could say, okay, well, that, that never happened. But at the highest level of the U.S. military, uh, they wanted that to happen. So you check, you check out Operation North, Northwoods. And here, here's something that I think is even more significant than Operation Northwoods. Consider the United States' involvement in the Vietnam War. Vietnam War. Uh, the United States massively uh, expanded its presence in the Vietnam War after the Gulf of Tonkin incident. Gulf of Tonkin incident, and this is wild too, is something you can pull up the news clips. There's a great one with David Brinkley talking about this unprovoked act of hostility by Vietnamese speedboats on the U.S. in the uh, against the the U.S. The US uh, in the Gulf of Tonkin against the U.S. ship. Okay, so they, they sold that to the U.S. public, and they said there were these Vietnam, Vietnamese speedboats. They attacked without provocation U.S. ship in the Gulf of Tonkin, and that that expanded the U.S. the U.S. Vietnam War, U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War. Uh, the problem was, we found out a few years ago that Gulf of Tonkin attack never occurred. It was it was a complete lie. 
that the phrase is used, false flag attack, historically, and that's when a government would attack itself, uh, and they'd use the flags, they'd cover themselves the flag of an enemy to convince uh, the public that, that the enemy had attacked them when they attacked themselves, a false flag attack. Now, technically, the Gulf of Tonkin wasn't a false flag attack because it didn't occur, but it had the same effect where the U.S. government lied about Vietnamese military aggression that didn't occur to create, to provide the pretext for the Vietnam War. What happened What happened after Vietnam? Uh, about 60,000 U.S. servicemen died and about a, a million Vietnamese, including civilians, over attacked that never occurred. So before before you could say, you could dismiss any idea that you know, 9-11 was an inside job, the criminal elements of the U.S. government were behind it. Remember that the U.S. government's already done this in the past. Uh, 60,000 U.S. soldiers died over an imaginary attack in the Gulf of Tonkin. Uh, about a million, million Vietnamese then. Civilians over. That war was over an imaginary attack. So it has happened before. And there's many, many other instances in U.S. history Forget world history. You go back to the, you know, the U.S. Maine being attacked in Havana Harbor in 1898. Uh, William Randolph Hearst, famous for Yellow Press, then, you know, they sounded the alarm. Remember the U.S. Remember the Maine. Remember the Maine. So, then Cuba was under control of Spain. The U.S. did not invade Spain. The U.S. did take the Philippines. <laughs> so, yeah, false flag attacks are something that has occurred throughout world history, throughout U.S. history. Why else? Uh, why else would I do I reject the official explanation, the official conspiracy theory? Why else do I reject the official conspiracy theory of 9/11? If you look at the physical evidence, oh, the physical evidence, we were told when you looked at the twin towers that the twin towers suffered structural damage due to the planes hitting them, and uh, there was a pancake collapse of both buildings. One went down less than an hour. One went down, I think, about an hour and 10, 10 or 20 minutes. And then when they fell, those, the, the collapse occurred at supposedly free, free fall speeds. So in about 10 seconds, they came down. The problem, the problem with the pancake collapse is that the towers were structurally sound. They were actually designed, videos out there, designed to withstand direct hits by jumbo jets. Uh, but the other problem is, if it was structural damage, then all the concrete, all the steel would not have been pulverized. But that's that's precisely what had happened on 9-11. You even had investigators like Stephen Jones. He's with a group called Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. You can see them online, ae911.org, I believe, Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. And Stephen Jones found traces of nanothermite. A high-tech explosive in the rubble of 9/11, so in the towers. So the physical evidence doesn't stand scrutiny too of the official explanation. A uh, another uh, another interesting fact then would be World Trade Center seven. But I uh, do hope you've enjoyed our show, and uh, Pudgy will be back next week. Thank you for listening to KRP Radio Show. KRP Radio!